What I find though, is that if you ask somebody to tell you a story about a, a rock star moment, I call it rock star because I sing in a couple bands. Sure. But some people, I'll, I'll describe it as a moment of, of true satisfaction. Mm -hmm. Where you walked away from something and thought, oh yeah, nailed that. Where you feel really good as you walk away. And it could be something as basic as a conversation with your teenager. When you walk away from a conversation with your teenager, if you feel good about that conversation, that is a moment of satisfaction as anyone with teenagers can tell you. But it could also be that you um, aren't necessarily a gardener or a green thumb kind of person, but you planted a bulb um, in the fall and in the spring you saw it actually come up. You saw the leaves come up and you found that greatly satisfying. When you can ask your team members that kind of question and you can hear those stories, then you can start to identify which tasks they, they might be able to do differently based on their strengths. Imagine how your life and business would look if both were aligned with your purpose. You would find clarity and confidence in decision-making, set boundaries to keep you focused, and take intentional actions which move you closer to achieving personal and professional goals. Your host, Amy Austin, is a successful entrepreneur, coach, speaker, and brand strategist. With marketing and branding experience spanning over 20 years for service industries, such as healthcare, software, and entertainment, Amy guides you and your business towards uncovering your purpose and the true foundation of your brand, and brings it to life in marketing strategies that educate, engage, and empower. The Pursuit of Purpose explores how to put your unique purpose to work, building an authentic and successful service-driven brand. Each week, Amy will bring you practical advice to help you live your life and grow your business with purpose. So my guest today is Sarah Elkins, and she is a Gallup's uh, Strength Finder certified coach. But what drew me to her was a conversation she was having in LinkedIn about the value of storytelling and communication. And I was, my comment back to her was that what she was describing really reminded me of Simon Sinek's Start With Why philosophy and how getting in touch with the stories of our lives helps shape who we are and the purpose for which we do things. And so wanted to reach out to Sarah and the result is us getting together on this podcast now today. So welcome Sarah. And Maybe you can just tell us a little bit about how it is that you use storytelling and helping people find their, their voice, their communication style through that. Well, first, thanks so much for inviting me to be on your podcast. It's always a treat um, to get to talk about these things with somebody that hasn't heard it so much before. And um, because I host my own podcast, it's fun to have the tables turned and be interviewed on somebody else's as a guest. So thank you. Well, you're very welcome. Thank you. Um, the, the whole premise of my podcast is your stories don't define you, how you tell them will, which is the title of my podcast and my upcoming book. I have been working through this, that, that theory or that theme for about five years because I realized that when people tell stories, they're not just shaping the perception of the people around them, but they're also changing or, or cementing their internal messages related to how that story defines them. So for an example, um, I was working with a client who said that she 
still struggles with the idea that she's not very bright. Now, this is a really, really bright woman. There's absolutely no doubt that this woman is very bright. Um, but when she was about 10 years old, her mother told her that she wasn't very bright. She said, um, you're very sweet, so you'll marry well. Oh, <laughs> that was, and that's this awful. Is a woman, right. And, <laughs> but, so this is a woman in her 50s that still tells herself that she is, maybe she's not that bright even though she has decades of evidence to support the opposite story. So when I started asking her more about that story, I started asking her to dig a little deeper. Where was she sitting? Who was sitting with her? Does she remember what it looked like? Uh, does she remember what her mother looked like at that time, what she was wearing? And once she kind of fell into this memory where she could really visualize where she was and create context around that story specifically. She was able to then look at it from a perspective of kind of a fly on the wall. And I said, well, what was your mother doing at that point in her life? And she started saying, well, she was raising four kids and we were the youngest and identical twins, 10 years old. Uh -huh. And she was raising these four kids. And I said, was she happy? She was like, oh no, I don't think so. And I said, why not? She said, well, cause she's brilliant and she was stuck at home raising kids and she knew that she could be doing more. Her mother-in-law was helping run a business. Her sister had gotten a degree in college and she was raising kids and she felt, I, I knew that she felt like she could do more. And I said, so what had happened that you were having this conversation at the kitchen table? I said, did you fail a math test or, you know, what, what happened that, that started that conversation? She said, I don't really remember, but it, it was probably something like that. And I said, so if your mother was really unhappy where she was at that point, and she was feeling insecure and self-conscious. Do you think maybe she was projecting those feelings onto her daughters? And this client just, you could see, because we were Zooming, most of my mm -hmm. clients are not local. I could see these tears well up in her eyes with, first of all, relief. And second of all, compassion for her mother. Wow. And exactly. Wow. And this is one of those interactions that was so powerful. It was just a story. It wasn't an epic story. She didn't have to meet a celebrity or have a near-death experience to have this meaningful story come to light. So I asked her to share that story with at least two people over the next 24 hours, none of which could be her siblings. I said, you need to share this with people who know you but who weren't raised with you that would have a completely different viewpoint of what your mother was like. And um, she said, okay. And two days later, I get this beautiful text from her saying she feels lighter. She feels like this huge weight is off of her shoulders now that she's identified the cause of that internal message. That was amazing. Yeah. And what's interesting is that she had been telling that story her whole life about right. how her mother told her she wasn't very bright. And now when she tells that story, it takes on this whole new meaning. And I've asked her to tell it over and over again 
with the context of what was going on in her life and in her mother's life at that point. And she, uh, her whole story has shifted. That is amazing. Yeah. Just that idea that she feels lighter. I mean, I can, I can totally relate with, or, or put myself in that position of when you do know the reason behind or the, that context of mm-hmm. what's going on, of how differently that would make you feel knowing, knowing that. But at 10, you're not, you're not going to recognize that in terms of the significance of what that plays. You know, well, like she remembered yeah. the story, but she didn't know at 10 all the things that she was able to identify now and how they factored into her mom's intent. Yeah. In Mm -hmm. saying that, or it's being said without that intent is probably more the case of, you know, it was probably said in a, in a moment of frustration, you Mm -hmm. know, there was probably some level of stress that's just there underlying all the time. And she may not have actually said exactly those words. But that's what this woman heard. That's what she heard, right? Yeah. So the thing is, she had a wonderful relationship with her mother, especially as an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, and and when her mother passed, she was devastated. Of course, she was very close with her mom. So it's interesting that when you said that that relates to Simon Zenek and mm-hmm. his you know, finding your why, the power of that. What's interesting about that is that once you kind of identify those damaging internal messages, it makes it easier to figure out your purpose. And the reason I say that is there are people who really, really struggle with that whole finding your why. Yeah. You know, I've encountered with that with people who I've worked with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They really, really struggle. And I did as well. And part of that is my own little um, cynical, critical, I'm not a touchy feely person. So the whole why thing at first kind of got under my skin. It was a little annoying to me. Yep. But once I, I started kind of seeing other people using it, applying it, which is what, that's where I find value is I can read something and say, oh yeah, that's interesting. But until I find an application for it, I just don't see the value in it. But with this this whole why idea during my no longer virtual conference in denver in 2018 we did a whole session on that with um, kate byers and a guy named jake astaris mm-hmm. and yeah i was participating even though i was hosting it's harder to participate when you're hosting i was participating but mostly i was just listening to the conversations that were going on in the room and it wasn't until months later that i finally realized that i I went backward rather than working so hard and getting so frustrated with myself to find my why. I started with my what or my how. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I figured out that, uh, so I'm looking at my stories, the yep. stories that I choose to share mm-hmm. and, and how I share them. And I had these three stories that came together that made me realize I'm really good at creating an environment of trust where people feel safe to really be authentic and share certain levels of vulnerability. I'm really good at creating that space. And I, I saw it in three different events that happened over the course of maybe two months. And so I wrote that up as my why. 
uh-huh. that I create the space. And my friend, Heather Younger, who's very, very insightful, she said, Sarah, that's not your why, that's your what. Yep. And I, I thought about it for days and I took some hikes on the mountain behind my house because that's where I find my most inspiration and insight. And as I came down off the mountain one day, I thought, oh my gosh, now I know my why. But it took finding the patterns in my stories to figure out my what, which is creating that environment, to better understand and be able to clarify my why. Why do I create those environments? Because I believe that healthy relationships are the key to satisfaction in life. Right. And that that's my why. Mm-hmm. And if you can build healthier relationships through your stories, then you're going to find more satisfaction in life. Yep. I agree with that. It's interesting that you say that that's how you came to finding your, your why, because I did kind of the same thing. I kind of zeroed in on, on what I did, but in my mind, it was exactly like you said, this was my why. And I left it alone for quite a while. I just felt like, yep, this is it. I, I kind of, you know, I'd gone through the exercises that he outlines in the book and it was before find your why came out where he really digs into it more with more detail of how to do it. And I just, you know, left it alone, wrote up this, what somebody has even said to me is like a personal manifesto of why, about what it, what it is I do and came back to it a couple of years later when he had the online course available and ended up doing exactly then what he says, which is share those stories with a partner and, you know, make sure that person is somebody who knows you, but not so well that they're going to be biased in doing that. She pushed me to think deeper about these things. And cause I had not done that. I didn't force myself to do that my, on my own in doing that. What I figured out was that I stopped with, with where I was at because I felt like I was validating what I'd been doing my entire career, what I liked to do. And so I was like, okay, well, that must be it. You know, it was like, it was just like, okay, seal of approval. You've been doing the right thing all along. Great. Let's just leave it at that and move on. And, you know, it's so much easier that way. Right. (laughs) And, you know, but then once I, once I did that work and partnered, you know, and kind of did the same thing that you were able to do by hiking your mountain, then I realized, oh no, what I'm doing stems from a deeper thing that when, once I was able to articulate that, then I was able to start seeing how I did that in so many other aspects of my life, not just in my professional life. Exactly. And, and I think um, the reason that's such a valuable exercise, those people asking you questions to dig into those stories, is that then you start to identify the patterns. Right. And my pattern was from the time I was 10 years old, I would host parties. Like I had, a, I hosted a surprise party for my sister when she turned five and I was 10. Oh, fun. <laughs> and, and, and then um, in our household, we have always hosted gatherings at our house. We've been in our house here in Montana for 20 years almost. And people, they walk into our house and their shoulders drop. Mm-hmm. I've had people walk into my house and just start tearing up the sense of relief of being in a place that's warm and welcoming. It, and 
that's, I mean, it's a combination. It's not just me, of course. It's sure. the, the feel of the house, mm-hmm. the, the charisma itself that this house exudes. It's built in 1890. It's always been filled with music. There have always been musicians who lived in this house. And that's my amazing. husband, of course, is warm and, and caring and welcoming and a fantastic host. And both our boys are filled with compassion. So it's, it's not just me welcoming, but it is part of what we've created and what I've created. Right. And I had to see that pattern before I could even figure out why that mattered. Yep. You know, that is exactly what Simon Sinek's methodology is, is that you identify these stories that have, that hold significance in, in your being and, but they shouldn't all be ones that, you know, just you look upon and think, oh, that was the best day of my life. You know, you also need to look at those ones that are ugly that you don't, ever want to repeat again and then focus really in on how did you feel it's not the event itself it's how did that how did you feel in that moment and then look at how do we replicate those things what's the theme that comes over and over and over from from those activities that then brings you towards being able to articulate what that why is oh that that's cool Thank you for sharing that story. So one of the things too that you and I talked about when we just chatted briefly before was the the strength finders and how I shared with you that I really believe that my my top five represent the how in my circle. Mm-hmm. If I recall correctly, you said that you've kind of encountered some of that as well. Am I am I remembering that right? That that makes sense in what you see with, with the clients that you work with, that when they are able to really leverage their, their top five, it helps them achieve their purpose and what they're doing kind of helps bridge that gap between the why of what they're doing and, and what they're, mm-hmm. what they're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating to me because um, strengths there, there are four domains within the strengths finder assessment. Um, so the results come in in one of four domains. One is executing, which is the people who, who get things done, right. um, that feel strongly about getting things done. So achiever, somebody mm-hmm. who's really motivated by setting and reaching goals, um, responsibility, someone who's very motivated based on their personal sense of responsibility. Um, and a few more in there. And then there's the influencing domain, which is people who really use their internal um, compass to guide them and help influence others. So activator, that's one of my top strengths. That's in there. Command is in there. People who cannot stand to see floundering. Mm-hmm. They just have to get themselves in there and, and help organize. They they just can't help themselves. It's um, so it's not necessarily that they want to lead, but that's, they can't stand to not have somebody leading. Right. Um, so those are the influencing, a few of the influencing ones. Then there's relationship building, which is empathy, harmony, people who generally don't like conflict. And so they are motivated by uh, influencing people through their relationships, through relationship building strengths. And then the last one is strategic thinking. So when you are strong in the strategic thinking category, you have a tendency to think deeply and broadly about things, but not necessarily um, to get things done, but for the sake of thinking about them. So 
somebody who's very intellectual, somebody who has strategic is, is one of those strengths, one of those talent themes. And what I find is that a lot of people that fall into those strategic thinking and executing domain, they're the ones that don't necessarily like the whole touchy-feely thing. But that doesn't mean that they don't value their relationships. Right. And so there can often be a big disconnect between not wanting to get into the touchy-feely, but wanting to have strong and healthy relationships. So when they find their why, it really clarifies things when they can see that their strengths actually do contribute. Just because you don't have empathy in your top strengths doesn't mean you're not an empathetic person. Right, right. And so it really helps when I go through those strengths with people, particularly in those areas, to help them understand how their strengths can combine and contribute to healthier relationships. Sure. So I think my, all of my top five fall in that influencing and relationship. Mm-hmm. Those in those two areas. It's funny. I was just talking with a friend of mine yesterday about this and re- related to her business and, and because she was starting to look at the different members of her team and where do they fall and how can she, how can she, you know, better understand her team members mm-hmm. and, and be able to help them find greater success by, by tapping into those strengths and putting them in positions where they're going to really be able to let those strengths shine as opposed to maybe being in a position where it's just going to be difficult for them because maybe it's expecting something that they're just not, it's not within their wheelhouse to be able to do as well because their strengths are not as supportive of that. Right. Right. And it's fascinating, you know, the, in strengths, they really discourage you from saying, you know, these particular strengths are good in these particular positions because the idea is that you can use whatever strengths you have to be successful in certain positions if you're applying them properly. Right. Um, But there are some natural fits that it, it is harder for somebody without specific strengths to do well and be successful in certain places. What I find though, is that if you ask somebody to tell you a story about a, a rock star moment, I call it rock star because I sing in a couple bands. Sure. But some people, I'll, I'll describe it as a moment of, of true satisfaction mm-hmm. where you walked away from something and thought, oh yeah, nailed that. Where you feel really good as you walk away. And it could be something as basic as a conversation with your teenager. When you walk away from a conversation with your teenager, if you feel good about that conversation, that is a moment of satisfaction, as anyone with teenagers can tell you. But it could also be that you um, aren't necessarily a gardener or a green thumb kind of person, but you planted a bulb um, in the fall and in the spring you saw it actually come up. You saw the leaves come up and you found that greatly satisfying. When you can ask your team members that kind of question and you can hear those stories, then you can start to identify which tasks they, they might be able to do differently based on their strengths. So for instance, if it's somebody that was so um, satisfied by seeing that, that bulb come up and green and springy, um, it's likely that they have 
restorative in their top strengths, which is somebody who really likes to build something from scratch. Um, I call restoratives quilters because where I see a pile of scraps, they see a beautiful mosaic of a quilt. Interesting. I like so, that. Thank you. So if you know that about that person, then rather than taking a task in the way that somebody with, say, strategic would take on that task, you help them understand it from the perspective of somebody who wants to solve a problem or solve a puzzle that seems to be in pieces right now. If you look at it from that perspective, rather than trying to strategically fix the problem, then they can find much more satisfaction in that particular task. Sure. That's interesting. You know, I took my strength finders assessment probably 12 years ago, I think is what it ended up being. And I didn't have any clue what to do with it at the time. And so I just, I read it and I was like, oh, this is interesting. And I just, you know, filed it away and left it alone. But I think in the last, well, the last seven years since I've been working independently, I've started multiple times it's come up, you know, either through coaches or people that I've met in networking settings or whatever of, you know, well, what are your strengths and what, what do they mean? And so I've started looking at them with a very different perspective, a very different context than what I did when I took them the first time. And, and I'm seeing things very differently and approaching them differently and understanding how they do factor into what I do. Um, you know, we joked last week about adaptability and the fact that, you know, okay, we're just going to, we're not going to have a, a list of questions for what we're going to talk about today. We're just going to start talking and wherever it goes is where it goes. You know, that that's, that's something that the fact that both you and I have adaptability high in our, our strengths allows us to be able to do that. But for some people that would probably terrify them. And, mm -hmm. and they'd be like, oh yeah, sorry, Amy, I'm not interested in being on your show if we're going to do it that way. <laughs> right. Can you just give me some parameters? <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. And, yeah. you know, the other thing I've been, the, the episode that I released on burnout, mm -hmm. I, I chose to talk about it just because of the fact that I'd been seeing all of this. I've been hearing it from people and I, I had like three or four articles just come in randomly into my, either my Facebook feed or my email about how prevalent burnout is for all of us. And I was reminded of part of Simon Sinek's reason for starting Start With Why was because he was, he was himself experiencing burnout. He didn't, you know, he's very successful in his own marketing agency. He understood what he did and how he did it, but he had no idea why it was that he was doing it. Mm -hmm. And that's how he kind of came to the idea of Start With Why and the and how he did it. And he started sharing it with people and then it just grew. It exploded. And it, yeah, it did explode. But I think that there's even, a, there's a value of understanding our strengths in combating that idea of burnout as well, because it could be that we're burned out because we're in a position where we're being asked to do something that is just, like you said, if, it, if they're strategic, they're going to approach it one way. If they're the, the quilter, I, I'm, the restorative, yeah, mm -hmm. the restorative, they're going to look at it completely different. But if that, if they're being directed to do it in a strategic way, yes, they're just going to be frustrated with exactly. it and be like, I can't, I don't even know how exactly. to do it this way. Well, and the way that I put it is I, I say that when you look at your top five, six, seven strengths, 
if you aren't using those in some way almost every day of the week, then you're going to have this underlying dissatisfaction and not necessarily be able to know where it's coming from. And everyone suffers from that in, in some way or another. But I find that particularly women struggle with this because we are so grateful for what we have. We, we think to ourselves, there's no reason for me to be dissatisfied. I have these wonderful kids. I have, you know, this house and a great job and good friends. So, so we just kind of sweep it under the rug, this little niggling dissatisfaction, because we, we don't believe we deserve to have that level of dissatisfaction. Why does that even exist? I'm so content where I am right now. And so we sweep it under the rug, but then eventually it becomes much bigger. It starts as this niggling dissatisfaction, but if you continue, say for instance, I have strategic and activator and command and adaptability and ideation, all my top five strengths. And I worked in the public sector, government agencies for nearly 20 years. And those strengths are not appreciated in the government sector. They're I'm just sure not. not. <laughs> Especially as a woman in Montana, to have command in top strengths is not particularly appreciated because um, it really is, there are still big, big pockets of good old boy clubs. So this small in stature woman with big command <laughs> was, was really, I was in the basement. That's how um, the strengths finder uses that kind of language. They say mm -hmm. you're in the balcony or you're in the basement of your strengths. And for, for a couple decades, that command was generally in the basement. And I found myself really dissatisfied, even when I liked my job, because I couldn't use that command. I didn't know at the time. I didn't even take the strengths assessment until just a few years ago. And now, as I look at my strengths, as I look at those results and I kind of laugh, I think, well, no wonder, of course. And I would blame the environment or I would blame my boss or I would blame the situation for that little niggling dissatisfaction, but I didn't address it because I, I couldn't pinpoint it for one thing. And if you can't pinpoint it, it makes it a lot harder to address. And for another thing, um, I felt so grateful for everything that I had. Right. I thought, well, there's no reason for me to be dissatisfied. The way that it would show up for me is part of this is adaptability, but part of this is not leaning into my strengths was I would be a two to three year employee. I would do great, I would dig in, learn everything it is that I could learn about whatever job I was doing. And after two years or so, I'd start getting bored and start looking for a new job. And Interesting. Yeah, and so that's why the, the phrase, your strengths are your stories, is really important to me. That's something that I use when I'm coaching. I could tell people, oh, I have adaptability in my top five strengths. Most people won't understand what that means. And they certainly won't understand it in the context of the rest of my top strengths or in the context of whatever job I'm trying to do or the interview I'm trying to, to win to get a job. So instead of saying, these are my top five strengths, I tell a story that demonstrates those strengths. Right. And that's what I encourage my coaching clients to do, especially if they're trying to get a new job, if they're in the interview phase, if they are just struggling with figuring out who they are and their identity. We look at their strengths. 
I ask them for stories like that. Like, tell me about a time when you were really adaptable. Tell me about a time when, or when you went to the grocery store yesterday, tell me the story of going to the grocery store. And even something as basic as that, you can kind of see where your strengths show up. Right. Well, and I think too, it's important to be able to pinpoint ways that those strengths are showing up in your life and be able to recount that because one, not everybody is well-versed in strength finders. And so they don't know what activator means or Mm -hmm. what, I mean, for a long time, I didn't really get what adaptability or individualization meant for me. It was, you know, it was just one of those things where I was like, okay, yeah, I'm not 100% sure what that means. But when you can identify with something that you've done, an action that you've taken, that is a reflection of, for me, individualization, let's say, now I understand it and appreciate it at a level that I wasn't able to before. And if I'm not, and then I'm able to use that and leverage it. Exactly. Exactly. Apply it to everyday activities. Exactly. But I'm also able to explain it to somebody else or be able to use that, like going back to the example you were saying of if I was in an interview, I'd be able to tell a story or share an example of how I leverage that without ever saying, this is me being adaptable or, or me exhibiting individualization. Exactly. Exactly. The way that I do this in like a keynote session that isn't about StrengthsFinder is I'll say, so I can tell you I'm a really good cook. I can say I'm smart. I can tell you I'm a great driver. But if I'm standing here in front of a group of people, are you going to believe me just because I said that? Of course not. But if I tell you a story about the, the pizza that I made the other night, my husband and I installed a wood-burning pizza oven in our backyard because we're serious about our pizza. Mm-hmm. And I figured out how to make the perfect Tuscan pizza crust, Tuscany style pizza crust at high altitude, which is tricky, let me tell you. <laughs> so I'm um, sure. I, and I can tell you about the, I can tell you a story about baking pizza and the, the toppings I put on it, the brown butter with sage that I made and put it on the pizza crust and the way that it came out of the oven with the bubbled edges. and Now this isn't fair. It's almost lunchtime and you're telling me this. <laughs> and capers, because as my friend recently told me, capers are the bacon of the fruit world or something like oh, that. Okay. Capers, you know, they make everything better. And I can tell you this story. And when I do this at a keynote, I look around and I'm like, okay, now you're all hungry, right? Mm-hmm. So do I need to tell you I'm a good cook after I tell that story? No. Of course not. You're going to decide that for yourself. Even if you don't like capers, you're going you're gonna to see the story with the visuals that I've created. And you're going to see the passion with which I speak mm-hmm. about cooking. And you're just going to trust me that I'm a good cook. Exactly. Well, and it goes back to, you know, in any good story, you have to be able to prove or show credibility. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have to back that up with an example. With examples of, you know, mm-hmm. how is it that, you know, I'm credible or that I have the credentials that I say that I have. And so by doing exactly what you just said, touches on that other one other critical element of 
creating the bigger story that you're trying to share about who you are if you're in an interview set setting or if you're you know trying to market your business and you're telling a story and you're and you're telling it through an example of what you've done mm -hmm. it, if you don't include those things the story it falls flat and it's not believable exactly mm -hmm. that's fascinating my head is kind of reeling because I'm thinking about all these other, you know, connections that you can make to all of this. I, uh -huh. you know, I, I follow um, Donald Miller and story brand a lot and all of the elements of story, you know, that you need to, to cover and know about your, about your brand in order to be able to tell a good story in your marketing messages. Right. And one of them is you need to know what your credibility points are. You have to bring those things in in order to be credible. And there are things like statistics and awards or experience. You know, if you've helped 25 people overcome this, that's, that builds your credibility out. And so right. it's kind of, it just you, factors those things in. Right. But how do you share that information without sounding like you're bragging? Exactly. Or without talking about yourself necessarily. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to promote yourself, but how do you do it without it sounding like you're being self-promoting? And right. when I tell that story about making pizza for guests at our home, I'm demonstrating it. I'm, I'm showing you, I'm not telling you. And um, I can't tell you how many times I've had people actually tell me, oh yeah, I'm really smart. And how am I supposed to take that? I'm supposed to just believe you? Right. And it just, it just seems so silly to me that somebody would feel the need much less the um, it, to feel like this is going to work to tell me something like this. I mean, what's the ultimate intention? So one of the things that I always, and just to kind of wrap up this particular topic, one of the things that I always work with my clients on is thinking about the intention of the story that you want to share. What do you want mm -hmm. your audience to get out of it? Is there yes. a call to action? Is there a feeling you want to elicit, an emotion? Um, do you want to encourage them to share a story of their own, which is, I think, the most powerful part of storytelling is being able to share the kind of story that triggers somebody else's memories so that they then share them back with you and you expose this level of vulnerability and connection that you can't get any other way. So just kind of understanding what your intention is behind sharing a story um, even if it's just a brief moment before you share it so that you know you're going to get to the point so that you don't do all of the things that um, drive you crazy about certain storytellers like getting into too much detail not enough detail going on too long all of those things that drive you crazy about certain storytellers if you can, in the seconds before you share a story, have some idea of what you want out of it, what the intention is behind it, then you're going to avoid a lot of those damaging parts of sharing a story. Right. So are you suggesting then that before you tell a story, you should, you should lead with that intention? Or is it just more a matter of knowing what that intention is in your mind so that you tell your story in a way that is almost leading by example for the person that you're telling the story to. Yeah, I, I rarely say, um, this is my intention behind a story. I rarely start anything like that. 
Okay. Because if you, um, if you tell the story well, you don't need to do that. It's kind of like when I tell that story about um, cooking pizza, I don't have to follow it up with, so what we've learned today is Sarah's a good cook. You, know, you, you should never have to do that. Um, and plus, you don't leave it to that other person to interpret your story which I find to be also valuable is hearing how somebody else interprets a story that I tell. There are times though in business where starting with the intention is the appropriate thing. If you are talking to people who lead with their executing and strategic thinking domains and you jump into a story and they don't know why you're sharing it, you may lose them. So um, that's a big part of my book is there's a whole chapter on observation of your audience, of sure. understanding certain cues that they're giving you, making sure that you see them, hear them, feel them, and then apply what you're hearing and feeling and seeing to adjust your message. Yeah. So it really is important to understand the lay of the land per se of, of <laughs> your audience and who's there and and understanding that point of, you know, what is your intention? You're starting with the end in mind, right? Stephen mm -hmm. Covey, is that correct? Yeah. Um, well, I, I even do that with customer service. If I have to call a customer service agent, I have a list of um, this is what I want. This is what I'll tolerate. And this is a deal breaker <laughs> because I want to know great piece of advice how I want right this there. to end. <laughs> I, I know how I want this to end. Yeah. Huh, I could have used that last week when I was calling to complain about the fact they screwed up my daughter's sandwich for like the third time. Uh -huh. <laughs> what was my intent with this? Because I'm mm -hmm. not driving back to get another sandwich. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> well, this was very fascinating. I think, I feel like this is really kind of a good place for us to wrap up. Um, mm -hmm. If you were to give somebody a piece of advice on how to, how to be the best storyteller that they can be, or the value of, of telling good stories? What would you tell them? I would tell them to start with observation. If you really want to be a good storyteller, the most important thing for you, and this is for every individual to, to find for themselves, is to find people that you like the way they tell a story. They elicit some emotion in you. They elicit a connection from you. And observe people who tell a story that you don't like so that you can find those those aspects of storytelling that you find annoying or um, disrespectful or not necessarily listening observation is really the key to becoming a better storyteller i'm never suggesting that you be like somebody else when you're telling a story but if you can kind of compile in your head all of the things that make a storyteller good to mm -hmm. you in your perspective and all of the things that make a storyteller uh, disengaging or boring and understand that you don't want that in your storytelling strategies. If you can kind of absorb all that and compile it, then you're going to put out something even better than anything you could do by reading a book. So I always suggest you start with observation. Watch TED Talks. Um, even when you're sitting in a bar or at a library and you're hearing somebody tell a story and you happen to overhear them, observe that. Observe how the person who's listening to the story is responding. 
figure out kind of what works for certain people and then practice them for yourself. That's great advice because it is so important to understand what is going on around you and, and because it can influence the words that you use, um, the tone that you deliver your story in. You know, you can see how well somebody is going to receive something just based on their body language. And, mm -hmm. you know, if you need to be more gentle in your delivery or firm or, you know, you can get that by just watching what's going on around you. Mm -hmm. and and I think that's one of the most difficult things for people when they're trying to share a story is really observing the response of the people around them. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you, Sarah. Um, why don't you maybe just share how people can find you or follow you? Um, sure, of course. So my website is elkinsconsulting.com, just like it sounds, elkinsconsulting.com. I have a podcast called Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Will. And my book will be released sometime in early spring of 2020. And um, I would highly recommend that people just take a look at the website. There is a speaker reel on the keynote page so that if somebody's looking for somebody to talk about storytelling or storytelling and personal brand, storytelling and advocacy, um, I love to do those presentations and workshops. Great. So, thank you. Thanks for asking. Yes, definitely. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. I appreciate your time. It's been a fun conversation, very enlightening on multiple levels for me and hopefully for others that listen to it. So thanks well, so much. Always lights me up. So thank you so much for having me. Great. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's discussion with Sarah Elkins about storytelling in our communications. I wanted to just summarize three key points that I took away from this conversation. The first one is how context changes the impact of our stories. When you reflect back on that, I want you to notice how often context came up in this discussion today. It's really woven throughout the entire episode. But I think what's important to remember is that context allows us to step into what others around us are feeling and seeing, how we might respond to the story that we're sharing with them at any given moment. It was really important in that example that she shared of the young girl who at 10 took away one piece of this story and carried it with her for her entire life. And when Sarah coached her to think about the context in which the interaction with her mother happened, she realized what she was holding on to maybe was not the intention, and she was relieved. The second one that I took away from this was maximizing our strengths in our communication and thinking about that not only from the standpoint of when you look at those top five, six, seven strengths, if you aren't using those in some way almost every day of the week, then you are going to have this underlying dissatisfaction and not necessarily be able to know exactly where it's coming from. The power in story creates an opportunity to build credibility and trust. So think about that the next time that you're pitching a new client or interviewing for a job. 
or just trying to create a relationship with, you know, someone who you've just met, rather than just stating matter-of-factly what you do, is there a way to bring a story into it that will show them through the words that you select what it is you do, how you do it, and why you do it? When you're able to do that, your credibility and your expertise is established and you're one step further on that ability to create a trusting relationship with that individual. The last point that I took away from this conversation was knowing your audience and the circumstances, which really does come back around to that very first one, which is understanding the context. And if you recall from episode 14, my conversation with Zach Messler in the three steps to a killer message, context was huge for in his discussion as well. When we understand the context, how is something being used? What's the underlying motivation that our possible client has in needing our services? It goes beyond just the pain point of what's of what they're working towards accomplishing. It's the situation that they're in at the time that they need that solution. That context can make a huge difference. So that episode was episode 14, Three Steps to a Killer Message with Zach Messler. A couple of other episodes that you may want to reflect back on is episode nine, Storytelling is Good for Business. Episode 19, Know Your Strengths with Erica Olaf, where we talk about strength finders and understanding how to really connect with them and leverage them in your day-to-day. And then finally, episode 22 on burnout and purpose. Because what we talked about in this conversation with Sarah was related to that idea of understanding our strengths. And when we know that we're tapping into our strengths on a daily basis, we're less likely to be burned out because we're more likely to be working from a place of purpose and intention. And that leads to a greater degree of satisfaction and makes it more difficult for that burnout to creep in. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Sarah. Um, The last thing I wanted to do today is just share a little bit about how you can work with me. I haven't really done that in the last 28 episodes that we've had together, but I wanted to take this opportunity to share with you one way that you could work with me. I offer a service called the Marketing Director On-Call Service. And essentially what this is, it's an hour-long coaching session where you drive the agenda. Let's say, for example, you're struggling to define your target audience, and maybe you're starting to feel like, The people who are utilizing your business really aren't your ideal audience, but you're not sure what it is you need to do to step back into targeting those people that you really want to have coming through your doors as opposed to those who are coming through your doors. We can talk about that. We spend an hour. We talk through that. I ask you some tough questions. We start brainstorming ideas. And I summarize it and create an action plan for you. Once that action plan is handed over to you, say you've started working on the process or on a piece of of the action plan that we defined together and you're stuck. Something's not working. You are not sure what what we intended with a piece of it. 
whatever it might be that comes back up as a question. You have three weeks to be able to follow back up with me. It's been very impactful for my clients that have utilized this. The example that I shared and how you might use it is actually one that I walked through with the client. She was fairly new in her business, about a year, year and a half in, and she was realizing that she was spending a lot of time servicing clients that were not her ideal, and they, it was bringing her down. It was actually doing exactly what we talked about with, in this conversation with Sarah. It was draining her because it wasn't playing to her strengths. And she wasn't sure how to be able to sustain her business without that segment of the clientele that she was bringing in, but she knew there had to be a way to do it. So we sat down, we talked about that. And what we realized was that this segment of clients that she was bringing through the doors really didn't feed her purpose. It didn't support her overall mission and vision for her business. And so we spent some time brainstorming, okay, What is it that we need to do to bring more of your ideal client? Who are they? What do they look like? What are their motivations? What problem are you solving for them as opposed to the problem that you're solving for the less than ideal client? Once we tapped into that, we were able to put down some plans of what she needed to do next and she started implementing those. We also identified some things that she could offload, if you will, to others both that work for her but also outside vendors to be able to help lessen the load so she could focus in on what it was she really needed to be doing. I'm happy to report she's doing just that. She's radically decreased the amount of events that are bringing in people who are less than her ideal client and she's upped the offerings that she has for her ideal client base. We did all of that in an hour. When we're focused and we know what it is that we need to accomplish, you can pack so much into an hour and create some pretty valuable results. Another example, I worked with a financial planner who was looking for ideas and a plan of attack on how to create a really engaging client appreciation event. Now, he really didn't know where to start. What did it need to look like? Where do I need to go to get these things? How long before the event do I need to order food? You name it. We covered big picture thinking about what did the event need to accomplish for him? Why was he doing it? Where would it be held? Down to the finite little details of three weeks before the event, you should do this. Six weeks before the event, you should do that. And he's still using that plan today and is having pretty regular client appreciation events and they're going very well. I invite you to consider that. Reach out to me if you have any questions. Drop me an email at amy at amyaustinmarketing.com. There is also some more information about the marketing director on call service on my website. I will put a link to that in the show notes. And my website, as you know, is www.amyaustinmarketing.com. So with that, I hope that your 2020 is off to a wonderful start and that you are living life intentionally. And we will be back next week with the next episode of The Pursuit of Purpose. This has been The Pursuit of Purpose podcast presented by Austin Marketing. For show notes, links, and more, go to www.amyaustinmarketing.com. You can subscribe to the show and leave a rating review on iTunes and Stitcher. Thanks for listening.